Hello and welcome to ISME and Conversation, a podcast all about advice for leaders of independent businesses. My name is Ed and I'll be asking our guests for the best pieces of advice that they've ever received, as well as the worst. They'll also be sharing practical and implementable tips and advice for business leaders. On this episode, we have Kirsty Penk of The Legal Director, who provide in-house legal services for businesses. We'll be discussing their unique approach and how it transforms how businesses can access legal services. Plus, advice from Kirsty's mum that applies equally at the family breakfast table and in boardrooms of big business. So with that in mind, hello Kirsty. Thank you for coming on Isme in Conversation. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Sure. Okay, so I was uh, born in Yorkshire. Um, my dad then um, managed to wangle a teaching job in the Bahamas. So we uh, moved there when I was six weeks old. Uh, we lived there till I was eight. I'm not sure where the decision process went, but we decided to move back to Yorkshire. That's kind of then where I went to school, um, managed to get a place at Leicester to do law, then went to law school in York, did my training in a large law firm in London. I worked there for my training and then kind of realized that wasn't for me. So I managed to move in-house at that stage and get a job working for a computer networking business that at the time was NASDAQ listed. I was the sole lawyer in Europe, which was a, a complete baptism by fire, but I absolutely loved it. Became GC there, general counsel in uh, 99. Um, and then Things started to tank for a variety of reasons and the business went into receivership and I bought that business with four of my colleagues. We ran that for four years. Then I had a few years off, um, had my son and daughter, and then I kind of joined TLD in their first wave of recruitment in 2009. So Ed had founded the business probably 18 months before I joined and uh, Ed asked me to join the board shortly after and then kind of fast forward to now, there are three of us who own and run the business and I am responsible for the sales and marketing function. So although my kind of background is very much legal, I haven't actually done any legal client facing work for about five or six years. So a bit of a shift in terms of where my, my background lay. What was Ed's reason for creating TLD? What's the philosophy behind it? Okay, so very much twofold, I think. Coming from an in-house background, he could see firsthand how a really good commercial lawyer can make a difference to a business. And he was of the opinion that, you know, why should that only be the large corporates who benefit from that kind of expertise? And secondly, what was also happening at the same time is Ed's brother worked for a business where he effectively was a part-time finance director. And Ed saw that was working really well and thought, if that works for FDs, why can't it work for legal directors as well? And so with your experience in-house, did that chime with your experiences? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's very much my experience of being in-house and the idea that this is a better way of delivering legal services absolutely is really key for me and frankly why I've developed my career within TLD. Let's get some details from you. How is TLD different from the traditional legal model? And what are the benefits to the client of the TLD model? So the thing for us is it's all focused around our team. So our team are experienced in-house lawyers. We don't employ any juniors. They're all lawyers who are at least 10 years and in most cases more than 15 years qualified. And the fact they've all come from that in-house experience is key for two key reasons, really. One is as an in-house, you have to be a generalist. You have to be able to turn your hand to a little bit of everything. You can't say, you know, that's employment law. I don't touch that. You have to be able to know a little bit about everything. 
And the benefit for the client of that is effectively you get 99% of your legal needs dealt with by one person. So obviously that person gets to understand your business and your risk appetite. The other really key difference with an in-houser is that as an in-houser, you're never given the luxury of sitting on the fence about anything. You're never allowed to say, here are your six legal options. You go ahead and choose. You're employed as much for your commercial ability as your legal ability. I I know when I first started at the business I mentioned, I worked for the business called Magic Networks. And the MD that day had just received a massive piece of advice from a law firm that he paid a fortune for. And they wanted to create something specific around share options. Uh, This advice ran to about 15 pages. And the MD was absolutely livid. You know, what what am I supposed to do with this advice? All it tells me are my options and lets me go ahead and choose. And we've never done this before. We've selected the lawyers because they've got expertise and they've done this year after year. I'm not interested in what my options are. I want them to tell me what I should do. And that for me was a real kind of key penny drop moment of that's what you're there to do as an in-house lawyer is to make those decisions. So, and then the other thing that in terms of our benefits is as a purchaser of legal services, which I very much did when I worked in-house, I had a 3 million budget to spend on external lawyers. And Ed and I were very keen to get away from these things that always happened, which was you were scared to pick the phone up because you were scared you were going to get a bill instantly. The bills were extremely unpredictable. You know, you often got a bill you completely out of the blue was not expecting. And also the person that you tended to have the relationship with was not the person who was doing the work. Those three things are very much enshrined in our ethos. We operate a retainer model, so there isn't that fear of picking the phone up. Uh, The retainer model also means you get predictable bills. You know exactly how much you're paying each month. You'll never get a bill from us you're not expecting. And the person who you speak to is the one who is doing the work. By virtue of the fact we have no juniors, it's literally how we operate. That gives you enough benefits, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And we'll come back to TLD because it feels like a sea change in the way that legal services are provided. But this podcast is all about advice because Ismi and Co is all about finding and providing advice. So tell us, please, the first piece of great advice that you have received ever. And this can be in your career. It can be anything at all, but it needs to be good advice, if you please. So this piece of advice, and interestingly, my other piece of advice both came from my mum. So, um, The first one from her was uh, to choose your battles. So as uh, I'm one of five kids um, and kind of growing up, you needed to select, (laughs) you needed to to make a choice, you know, was this worth falling out over? And I've seen that in my career in business so many times that some people could really just do with that, that advice. And I spent a number of years in my career in different roles, kind of what felt like banging heads together sometimes. And I think you know, if people had just kind of stepped back and, and choose their battles, I think that it would have uh, benefited everybody. Brilliant advice in life, brilliant advice in business, brilliant advice for kids. Absolutely. At the breakfast table, I could use that. Does it have a legal application? Are there people who are interested in taking legal action when perhaps the best solution is not to? Absolutely. And interestingly, probably it must be 10 years ago now, we worked with a business that did a a bit of a client listening exercise for us and found out what our clients thought of us. And interestingly, when they were describing the advice they'd had from lawyers generally, they felt it was very adversarial and that that wasn't in their best interests. And that's absolutely the kind of, certainly in the legal world, of the view that a lot of people have of lawyers. And I think that's probably quite justified, frankly. Whereas my approach and and certainly, you know, TLD's approach from an in-house perspective is always very much 
let's get this contract sorted out. Let's try and cover off all possibilities. But then frankly, let's put it in a drawer and never look at it again. That's when it's been successful, when nobody ever gets the contract out and starts pointing it at people. Brilliant. Thank you. Now, back to TLD and the fact that you are doing things in a different way to the majority of the legal profession. Have there been obstacles to the creation of TLD and doing things the way you do things? Has there been pushback from the traditional legal models? I think certainly in terms of the way we work, kind of, you know, remote model, we've always worked remotely. We've never had office space. And I think talking to clients, there's been a real shift. I mean, COVID's been great for us because of that. There's been a real shift in understanding that actually people who are working from home can provide a professional service. They can be responsive. It's not necessarily an easy option. And I think that's definitely, we've seen that. In terms of law firm pushback, I think the sensible ones who we've certainly had conversations with can appreciate that what we provide, their model is just not set up to do that. Their model, they have to push things down to the lowest cost resource wherever they can. They'll have probably 250, 300 clients they're notionally responsible for at any one time. Our team have six or seven. So there's a real difference in that respect. So I think there is an acknowledgement that we're operating different models. Fantastic. Thank you. I think that point you make about the lowest cost resource is particularly interesting. I don't think any client wants the lowest cost resource in any sector. That's really interesting. So I was going to ask, is this model replicated in other sectors? But you mentioned chief financial officers. My question is, is there a legal equivalent of what you do? Do you have competition in terms of your model? We do. Uh, There's probably three or four of the businesses who look similar to us in terms of their team setup and their pitch to clients. Our real differentiator is that we are regulated. So we're regulated by the Solicitor's Regulation Authority, which means we have to jump through all kinds of hoops for them. But also from an insurance point of view, it's really key because it means that clients have got full indemnity insurance, professional indemnity insurance, because the, the level at which we have to get that because we're SRA regulated is much higher. Therefore, clients get better protection against any issues with our advice. And actually, from our point of view, we've looked a number of times as to whether it makes sense to continue with that. And we think it does because we think clients you know, really need that in order to be properly covered. But also, it's a way for us of attracting lawyers because lawyers being such a cautious bunch like that protection in terms of the work that they do. Let's touch on that, that um, the importance of attracting lawyers. We've heard about the benefits to the client. Those are tangible. Those are obvious. What about the other side? How do lawyers benefit from your model? Interesting, actually, we've, we've just come back from our retreat. We were in a hotel in Oxford for two days last week. And one of the things we did with the team was to have their motivational maps done by a sort of a third party. And, and this looks at your nine kind of motivators as an individual and grades them. And interestingly for us, on the whole, we came across as what I would classify as friendly spirits. So the spirit is all about being independent, creating something of your own, creating your own practice, working with the businesses that you you can make a real influence at and kind of setting your own destiny and and being a bit entrepreneurial. And that's certainly something that other team actively seek. And then the other bit is around the kind of friendly bit, which is wanting to work a bit as a team. So that's very much what we give our lawyers. They have the ability to set their own rules, to work independently and to work with clients where they can make a real difference. And yet we give them that wrapper, which allows them to have the team, the supporter of a business who who can assist them to find more work or to kind of deal with anything that's slightly outside their comfort zone. Is culture quite important to you at TLD then, that shared ethos? 
Absolutely. Cultural fit's key. We have a lot of people, particularly in-house lawyers we speak to, who absolutely think it's a great model um, and can totally understand how they can bring some real benefit. But we're quite picky about who we involve in the business. And that's very important to us that it's somebody who shares the same values as us. And clearly, you know, they're representing the TLD brand. That's very important to us as well. But you know, we obviously had our, our maps done as well, the, the three owners, and uh, we, we're very much in that camp too. We want to work with people that we enjoy working with and that we know will bring value to clients. Fantastic. No shocking results in the maps being drawn. And nobody came out with wants to leave the company immediately and up. No, interesting one was the real low motivator for most people was star um, that need to kind of be pick me. I'm, I'm great. And uh, that is no surprise that we're actually talking to a PR business because we're not very good at that <laughs> kind of shouting about how great we are. So self-promotion is hard for us Brits anyway, isn't it? I think we really struggle with it. Right. Back to advice. Please tell us the second piece of great advice, which you've already said comes from your mum as well. Sure. So um, I think the second bit was actually when I had kids, um, my mum said to me, always try and say yes when you can, but say no and mean it. Yeah. And, and I think that actually the more I thought about that, it kind of perfectly sums up what an in-house lawyer should do as well. You know, be flexible, assist the business wherever you can and, you know, make sure that you're supporting them to make the decisions that need to be made and finding a way through the issues together. But then in terms of, you know, saying no, you've clearly got to have a red line uh, and just be really clear why you have that red line and stick to it. Okay, so that piece of advice, say yes when you can, but say no and mean it. Is that more difficult to apply in uh, the legal sector or as a parent to unruly children? Oh, definitely children. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. <laughs> I know it's, it's, it's a really tricky one. And, and actually what you find, which I think as well we do in business sometimes, is you automatically say no to things without thinking about it and kind of think, no, we can't do that. You can't do that. You know, that's changed. That's different. That's, you know, it's no. And then actually you think, oh, maybe, maybe we can do that. Maybe I could have said yes there. I, I do think it applies equally, but it's definitely more difficult to do with children. Fantastic. Thanks very much. Now, uh, finally, because everybody likes a bit of a disaster story and a bit of drama, what is the worst piece of advice that you've ever received, please, Kirsty? So the place I did my articles, um, which shall remain nameless, um, a law firm in London, when I told them I was leaving to go and work in-house, one of the very senior partners there told me I was throwing my career away and I was completely mad. What was I thinking? Why was I even considering an in-house role? almost like it was some kind of second class career. And for me, that's it was the best thing for me. And certainly was one of the best decisions I ever made in terms of making that switch because the private practice model just didn't suit me. I couldn't see anybody who kind of looked like me, who I aspired to be like in that business. Whereas when I moved in-house, I was surrounded by people who I enjoyed being with and who I could genuinely see loved their role and you know much more of an aspirational thing for me. And that's always been important to have sort of people I can look up to and think, that's going to be the path for me. So, so definitely telling me not to leave a law firm model was definitely the worst bit of advice. <laughs> but luckily, I didn't listen. <laughs> yeah, perhaps that goes back to your mum's advice as well. Is that fairly typical of the legal industry, that sort of rigidity, sort of institutionalization, i.e. people not necessarily thinking outside the box? Absolutely. And just interestingly on that, the law firm I'm talking about, they had like an alumni meeting. It was actually pre-COVID. So a few years ago now, and, and I was chatting with a guy who's now the managing or was at the time the managing partner there. Uh, and he said, you know, what are you doing now? So I explained and uh, he said, um, clients like that. Clients want to buy that kind of service. He, he just couldn't compute 
that that was a way that would work for clients because he spent all his career almost sitting in his ivory tower waiting for clients to bring work to them rather than doing anything proactive and operating any kind of retainer model. It was just completely alien to him. So yeah, there is a bit of that, definitely, certainly in certain circles. I think it's become less so. The lines have merged a little bit more. Again, post-COVID to an extent, there's been a bit more of a a shift in the way people are happy to buy legal services and, and people are happy to provide them as well. How do we find out more about the legal director? There's a lot of information on our website, obviously legaldirector.co.uk, and we've got loads of case studies there for anybody who's interested in a way that we can support their business. We've got a um, what we call the nine-point framework, which kind of sets out the sorts of areas we can support businesses in, which is a useful kind of place to start. And obviously, we're always delighted to have a chat with anybody who's thinking that they want to buy legal services slightly differently or want to join our team and deliver legal services in this way. Thank you so much to Kirsty Penk of The Legal Director. If you found these pieces of advice useful and you'd like access to other experts covering all aspects of running a business, firstly, head to ismianco.com where you'll find a huge library of business advice. And secondly, subscribe to the podcast. Thank you very much for listening and see you next time.